Welcome. Thank you for watching this teaching video from Oak Tree Community Church in South Bend, Indiana. Please check out our other videos and don't forget to like and subscribe. Our mission is to help people come to know Jesus better and love Him more every day. We believe this will not only help our own spiritual growth, but also help us better influence the community and the world for Christ. For more information about Oak Tree, please visit us at oaktreechurch.com. There you'll find past message series, online giving options, and more information about our discipleship process that we call The Path. Now, enjoy this message. We'd love to hear from you in the comments or the website contact form. Thank you. Okay, last week, last week, we began this series uh, that we're just calling We Believe. We Believe, okay? Pretty straightforward, not that hard. It's all about dun, 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 what we believe. <laughs> and uh, we're working through, we have an official, as a church, we have an official doctrinal statement, what we call our statement of faith. These are things we believe. And there's all sorts of, of Bible references and, and, and you know scripture passages that says, here is where we find this information. Here's why we believe this. And you can find that entire statement of faith on our website. And uh, But what we're doing is we're taking the big categories. And I said there are 11 big categories and there are about 32,000, a little more than 32,000 verses in the Bible. And every single one of these individual verses fits within one or more of these 11 categories. It's really cool. You can actually, it's not like we're trying to chop up the Bible or anything. But if you say, okay, I, you know, what does, let's just say, what does grace mean? What does grace mean? What, what, how would I find out what grace means or what, what the Bible says about grace? Well, you could, um, you know, maybe say a, a favorite verse, you know, one or two verses here or there, um, and say, yeah, that's, that's what it means. But if you really want to understand it, you start on page one. And you read through the whole thing looking for the word grace. You write down every verse where it says grace. But then... You're like, hold on a second, that's in English. And the Bible wasn't written in English. There might be words that in our English Bible have a different nuance, but sort of the same concept. So I've got to study the Bible even more. So that's just grace. And that's not even one of our major topics. That's a subtopic. In fact, it might even be a subtopic of a subtopic. Okay, that's, that's how far down this little tree can go. So that means if I wanted to if I wanted to say okay what does the bible say on any topic pick any topic I have to read through the whole thing every time all 32,000 some odd verses every time and gather all the information about each one of these topics as you can imagine that'll take a little bit of time <laughs> and it'll take a lot of paper as you're writing down all the things and you're going to be like I already read this verse. I wrote it on this category over here. Yep, it applies to this category here. Okay, for instance, just, just the first verse. Let's, let's just pop the first verse open. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
what big topic do you think this would cover? All right, creation. All right, I haven't even given you all the big topics yet, so you just have to yell topics at me. That's all, yeah. Okay, God. God, I mean, he's right there. Fourth word, right? God. Any other topics? Earth, heaven, what did you do? When, yeah, time. Time, when did all this happen? The beginning of what, right? Now, in our 11 categories, God would be one of the major 11. In fact, that's what we're going to study today. Okay? Everything else that you said, all the other things that you said are absolutely true, but they're subcategories underneath some of the others. You know what is also in here, even though it's not mentioned? In chapter 2, we're told that the entire, everything in heaven and earth is, is, is included in this. That means that would have to include angels. That would have to include humans. Okay. If you jump down to verse 2, now the earth was without shape and empty and darkness was over the, the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of water. Now we've got God again, but we've also got the Spirit of God. You see how it can work in multiple things. What this is called is systematic theology. And you're like, okay. All right, that's not why I come to church. <laughs> All right, this is not going to turn into a seminary classroom. You don't have to worry about that. Well, maybe you do have to worry about that, but we've been trying to not make it a seminary classroom for 20 years now. Um, the, but what we have to do, all systematic theology, I'm just telling you, this is just really easy. All systematic theology is, is taking our theology, taking our beliefs, what do we believe, and systematizing it, categorizing it. And the reason that's important is because when someone asks you, so what do you believe? You have something to say other than, well, this. Right? Well, well what about that? What's in there? You know, tell me about your God. In the beginning... Uh, <laughs> All right, here's what I know about God. God is big. How big? There's a great gospel song. I love this gospel song that the last line says, he's big enough to rule this mighty universe, but small enough to live within my heart. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? So how big is God? And what does big even mean? When you get to that point, this is why, as we as we covered last week, the scriptures are where we get our information. The scriptures, the Bible is where we get our information. And so we started with the Bible last week as one of our big categories. This week, I think we're going, or not I think, but we're going to talk about what I think is the next biggest, the, the probably the first, the most important category after the Bible itself. Not because the Bible is more important, but just simply because that's where we get our information. And that is the doctrine of God. And the key truth that's just going to rule everything else in here is three simple words. Everything else that we're going to look at today is based on these three simple words. And that is, God revealed Himself. Because let's face it, if that didn't happen... We wouldn't have a lot to go on. If we have any concept of God at all, and I don't know what your concept of God is, we all have different concepts and we all have different levels of understanding, and that's fine, 
Okay, that's fine. But whatever your concept of God is, my guess is, if you believe in Him at all, that there is some kind of underlying assumption that he's that, that he is bigger than you are right can we all agree on that if there is a god out there somewhere he's bigger than i am right okay i may not know everything i may not know anything but i'm just assuming that by definition god is bigger than than i am if that's true just, just think logically. We haven't even opened the Bible yet. If that's true, if God's bigger than I am, if He did not want to be found, my guess is the universe is big enough, He could play hide and seek and we would never find Him. Right? If He did not want us to know about Him, he, we would have nothing. We would have nothing. Okay, we do this with little kids. We trick little, you know, we do stupid things that we call magic tricks, right? To little kids, right? Look, I'm pulling my finger, but you know, stupid stuff. And they're all like, <gasps> right? Okay. And just like that stupid little thing is so amazing to a child, like you took your finger off, ah! right? Just like that stupid little thing is so amazing to a child. And they just, it just, Blows their little mind that we could do that. If we are nothing compared to God, whatever, if He didn't want us to know Him, we wouldn't. If He didn't want us to find Him, we wouldn't. Okay? I've seen little videos online where, you know, somebody, you, know, you hold up the blanket, and then as you drop it, you jump out of, you know, out of the doorway or whatever, and little kids are like, oh, you know, they're freaking out, where did mom? You know, where did that? And that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the difference between God and us. And so it is essential that we understand and that this is a foundational truth that God revealed Himself. And I just want to take apart the, each word and just give one thought for each one of these words and then go through some of these things. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of scratching the surface this morning. Okay, We do not have time to go through the entire Bible and see what God said about Himself. So we're just, just a few things this morning. Um, uh, uh, the Sound of Music, some of my favorite things about God. Okay, These are some of my favorite things about God that He has revealed Himself to us. Number one, God. God is a personal being. This is one of the things that He has revealed to us. He's a personal being. He's not just some force out there somewhere. He's not just some uh, uh, a voice. He's not just some force. He's not just a power. He's not electricity. He is a personal being. And everything that goes along with that, I mean, that by itself is an entire study. Everything that goes into God being a personal being. That means the emotions that we understand can be attributed to God or vice versa, whichever way you want to look at it. He has emotions at least at some level. He's intelligent. He's, he's uh, uh, just the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. That means He has creative power. That means He has a desire. He wanted to create. Okay? It didn't just happen accidentally. He wanted to do it. He did it with intention. He did it with desire. He's creative. He has the power to do it. 
Okay, there was something behind it. God revealed himself, and he is one of the first things that he revealed is that he is a personal being. Revealed, then, means, this sort of goes back to what I was just saying, is that there are some things we don't know. There are some things we do know, and there are a lot of things we don't know. God chose to tell us the stuff that he cared for us to know. Okay, and if you're a parent, if you're an, an employer, you understand this. There are some things you just don't tell your kids. There are some things you just don't tell your employees. They don't need to know. Right? A wise person doesn't tell everything that he or she knows. You just don't spill all the beans. You just don't do that. Some things are best withheld until a certain time. Some things are just best withheld. You're never going to know it. At least while I'm alive, you're never going to know that. I'm not going to be the one to tell you. And we understand that on a human level. We understand that on a personal level. God does the same thing. There's far more about God <laughs> than, number one, our little brains could possibly understand, or you know, possibly fathom. And he's, you just don't need to know. You just don't need to know. We can't know everything, and we don't know everything. He revealed himself. So building on that is that he chose those specific things that mattered. And I think this is important because we get so caught up on the stuff that he didn't tell us, right? Oh, I wish I could know this. I wish I could know, you know, this. I wonder what this means. He chose not to tell us. There's so many more things that we uh, 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 could know or, you know, possibly or whatever. But here's, here's what it means. Here's why this is so important that God revealed Himself. Because not only did He just He chose, He not only did He choose what to tell us, but we are responsible. And I think this is sort of the this is the big thing. We are responsible only for what He chose to tell us. We're not responsible for what he, we don't know. We're not responsible for what He withheld from us. He gave us certain information. We are responsible to know it, to learn it, to study it, maybe to memorize it, to share it, and to respond to it. But all those other things, all the speculations, all the, oh, I wonder, we're not responsible for that. So it actually takes the pressure off of us, right, to perform. And we'll come back to that thought uh, in a little bit. All right. That said, what are some of my favorite things. What are some of the things that God has revealed? On the slide, what I'll do is we will, I'll put the thing. So he is the creator. It's the first one. We're already in Genesis 1.1. He's the creator. There's a couple of references here. We'll look at uh, some of these, maybe not all of them, but we'll look at some of them. And then I'll give you a thought, just one thought off to the side on the next slide. One thought that helps sort of bring this together. Why is this particular thing about God important to you and me today? Okay, so number one, he's creator. He's creator. Of course, we just saw Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, Job chapter 38. I love Job uh, chapter 38. God was talking to this man named Job. Job has spent... Uh, 30 chapters wondering where God is. Why won't you talk to me? Why won't you talk to me? And God says, all right, fine, I'm here. 
And Job shuts up real quickly, <laughs> really quickly, because God opens his conversation. Uh, get ready, verse 3, get ready for a difficult task like him. Stand up and face me. Stand up like a man. I will question you. You will tell me. So here's where he starts. Where were you, verse 4, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess understanding. By the way, this isn't just for Job. This is applicable for all of us. We get into these moods where we're like, wow, God is, you know, whatever. God's like, come here. <laughs> come here. Tell me, where were you when I set this whole thing up? You weren't even around yet. Who set its measurements? Who set its measurements? Okay, well, you know, we go into science class, and I took earth science, you know, and everything. And the uh, circumference of the earth is... You know, about 25,000 miles. The diameter of the earth is, you know, 8,000 miles. Whatever. Okay? But who decided that? It's one thing to memorize the numbers and the formulas, but who created the formula? You, know, you got the Pythagorean theorem. He didn't make it up. He discovered what was already there. God invented it. God put all this stuff into nature. He created all of this stuff that we've discovered for four, five, six thousand years, we're all like, ha ha, I'm the greatest philosopher, I'm the greatest mathematician. God's like, I made that up like, you know, gazillion years ago in my head. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and you finally discovered it. You know, where who said it's measure? If you know who said it's measure, who stretched a measuring line across it? I'm, here's one. Greek philosophers, ancient philosophers have tried to figure this one out. On what were its bases set? Well, there's this great, this giant tortoise, right? Hanging out there in space. Or there's this elephant that's standing on the back. The atlas, right? Atlas holds the earth, right? On what, do, what, what is the earth set on? Well, the scriptures tell us thousands of years ago, it's hanging in space. And you know what we discovered? It's hanging in space. There's no atlas or elephant or tortoise or you know whatever out there holding it up. Just like God said, it's hanging in space. He's the creator. He's the creator. Here's why that matters. He's the creator of all things, which means he's your creator and my creator. We don't exist if God did not set up the system by which we were conceived and born. And that means because I did not just evolve, because I did not just, I'm not just the, uh, a, a, a bunch of molecules, a bunch of, a clump of cells that accidentally turned into me. I'm not just billions of years of evolution and I'm at the highest food chain right now, but eventually somebody's going to come along and, and be higher than we are. Because God is creator and we didn't create ourselves, we have a purpose that is beyond us. We are here for a reason. If you take God out of the equation, if you take creation, creator out of the equation, and all you have is some kind of chance and random mutation and evolution, we're nothing more than accidents. That's it. You and I are just accidents. We have no purpose. 
But if God created, if God is the one who set all this stuff up, then we're here for a reason. We're not just accidents. My life has more meaning and purpose than I could possibly give it simply because of one of God's characteristics. How cool is that? Just because of one of them. Number two, one of the things that he has told us is that he is one God. And we, we sort of looked at this a couple of weeks ago when we were studying what does Islam say compared to what the Bible says. And... Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the uh, ancient Jewish people have been repeating this uh, phrase. This, this became, this is sort of like their statement of faith in a nutshell. Okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we find, Hear or listen, Israel. It's a command. Listen, Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is is one. Christianity is one of three what we call monotheistic religions in the world. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are the three that believe mono is one. Theism is a belief in God. They're the three religions that believe that there is one and only one God out there. Every other religion that believes in a God, because there are a lot of religions that don't believe in any God at all, Every other religion believes in multiple gods. Okay? Uh, either in the multiple individual gods and they've got ranks and hierarchies, or just this divinity, this divineness that is in and around. This goes back to the impersonal force that God is not. Just sort of in God is in everything. You're God and I'm God and everybody's God and you know, all that stuff. There are only these three world religions, ancient world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, that say, no, there is only one God. Okay, only one God. Now, Judaism and Islam are different than Christianity and who we believe that God is. Okay, but the, uh, the concept that there is really only one God out there, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, okay, but what about those other things? What about those other religions that believe in, in these other gods? How do we, how do we uh, engage with that? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 4, he says, with regard then to eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol in this world is nothing. We know that an idol in this world, and that there is no God but one. Okay, he pulled that right out of Deuteronomy. Okay, if after all there are so-called gods, there's no doubt that things are called gods. No question, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. I mean, things that are called that. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. That goes back to the Creator, and for whom we live, and one Lord. Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. And Nick will talk about that in a couple of weeks here when he talks about what we believe about Jesus and through whom we live. There are other things out there that get labeled gods. There are demons out there. There are angels out there. There are emotions out there. There are all sorts of things that get labeled gods, but they are nothing 
They're nothing compared to the one true and living God. In fact, that's the way, that's probably the best way to refer to him is the true and living God. The true and living God. Okay? The, even Paul refers to Satan as the God of this world. Okay? But that doesn't mean that he's, you know, uh, uh, God. He's not the one, the true and living God. He's called God. He, he sets himself up as God. People like to be worshipped. Things like to be worshipped, but that doesn't mean they deserve it. God is the only true and living God. Since there is only one God, and He is, has revealed Himself, here's the truth. I'm responsible to Him. I'm responsible to Him. If He's my Creator, if He is the only true and living God, I'm responsible to him. Okay? Um, I'm responsible for what he has revealed, and I'm responsible, which means that he wants us to get to know him. That's why we say around here that he wants us to know him better and love him more. Okay? It's not just a saying. It's not just so that we you know, have something to say. It's because that's what God wants. That's what God has designed and set the system up to do. All right, number three. Wait a minute. <laughs> we just said he is one God, but now we're saying he is three persons? How does that work? Just believe it. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those things that God has revealed and yet chose to either not tell us the full details or he's just like, you're not going to understand it anyway, so just believe it and move on. There is a thing that we believe called the Trinity. In fact, we sang it, Father, Spirit, Son, the three in one. Okay, blessed Trinity. There's, there's this Trinity, or the word Trinity that is... is um, uh, it's sort of a smash together. It's called a crisis. It's called a tri-unity. There are three distinct persons. Father, Son, Spirit. They have different roles. We'll see that. They have different actions that they do. And yet somehow they are only one God, not three distinct gods. This is one of the things that Islam hates about Christianity. One of the things that Jehovah's Witness hates about uh, uh, true Christianity. Uh, one of the things that Mormonism hates about true Christianity. Because we say that Father, Son, Spirit are identical in nature, in essence, in attributes, in characteristics, in their essential being. They are the same. There's only one God. And yet somehow... What he has revealed about himself is that within that Godhead, there are three distinct persons without being three gods. And I'll tell you, even as I'm saying that, and I firmly believe it, even as I'm saying that, it's hard to believe, right? It's hard to understand, and I admit that, okay? There are some things about God that we just don't fully grasp. The closest thing in our world, the closest analogy, and every analogy breaks down. If somebody says, aha, this explains the Trinity, right out of the gate, just don't listen to them, okay? So I'm not going to say, aha, this explains the Trinity, because I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say that this is the best one I've found, and that is actually humanity. 
because we're told that we're created in God's image. And in us, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. Okay? Each one of these is a different role, is a different, a, a different unique thing, and yet it, it makes us. And again, that breaks down. Our bodies die and decompose. Our soul lives on. I just, I know it breaks down, but I think that's the best analogy. Okay, because it's not just a part of us. It's, it's, these are not just three parts of God. In Matthew chapter three, this is probably one of my favorite uh, verses that talks about this because Jesus was being baptized. So he was there. There's no question. Jesus was there. And, and he came up, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove on him. So there's the, so there's, Jesus is there. There's the Spirit. And there's a voice coming out of heaven that says, this is my one dear Son. So there's that third, okay, that third person. So we have the Father who calls him the, Jesus the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. All three of them present. Okay, it's not just like he just shows up. Sometimes I'm the father, ha ha, and sometimes I'm the son, ha ha, ha right? It, that's, that's not how it works. Okay, 2 Corinthians 13, John 14. In fact, Isaiah, there's so many places that actually teach this, show this. Um, but that's probably my favorite one because I think it's one of the clearest. Here's why this matters. Because God cared enough, thoughtful enough, planned ahead enough to reveal himself to us in multiple ways. He could have just said, here I am, deal with it. But time after time after time after time throughout Scripture, he revealed himself in multiple ways, different, different aspects, different characteristics, even this whole concept of this triunity where they are unified in one and yet three distinct persons so that we can come to know him better and love him more. You know how you explain something three and four and five times so somebody actually gets it? <laughs> Whether they do or not, you've done your, your part to try to explain it. That's what God has done with us in the scriptures. Let me tell you a different way. Let me tell you a different way. Let me tell you a different way. And it's never the whole picture. It's never everything because we just can't grasp everything. But God has cared enough to reveal himself in so many different ways, different analogies, different things, because he wants us to know him. Okay, He wants us to know him. Number four is that there are distinct roles. Each one of these has a distinct role. I want to show you John chapter 5. It's a little bit longer, but it's even Jesus... Uh, even Jesus uh, really focused on this in his ministry. You would think Jesus would just, you know, if, if he's God, let's just put it this way. If I were God, and everybody's glad I'm not, but if I were God and I decided to show up, it would look a whole lot different than when Jesus decided to show up, right? Okay? I would show up with, you know, a little bit more of, this is who I am, deal with it, bow down right now, right? which is why we're glad I'm not God. <laughs> Jesus showed up with a whole lot more grace, first of all. He showed up with a whole lot more tact. He showed up with a different uh, plan, but one of the things that he showed is his role within the Godhead. Look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and I'll start in verse 16. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath 
day, Saturday, uh, the Jewish leaders began persecuting him. So he told them, my father, there's the distinction, is working until now, and I too am working. Okay, leave me alone. I'm doing my, my job. I'm doing what I'm here to do. Now notice how they took that. For this reason, the Jewish leaders were trying even harder to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their minds, he wasn't really, but in their minds he was, he was also calling God his own father, look at this, making himself equal with God, which he was. And they understood that. They knew that that's what he was doing. Okay, But notice what he went on to say, even though I'm equal with God, Verse 19, so Jesus said, I tell you the solemn truth, the Son, that's me, can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Hold on a second, you're God, you can do anything you want. That's true, but within the Godhead, within the triunity, we have different roles. And the Father sets the plan, and the Son does the plan, and the Spirit empowers, gives life to the plan. That's how they work together. That's the unity. And Jesus said, listen, I could because I'm God. I could just do anything I want. But that's not how we work. We have different roles. The Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He does and will show Him greater deeds than these so that you will be amazed. And it just the, the whole passage just keeps on going down. They have distinct roles. And this really, when I do marriage counseling, uh, when I do uh, 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 just even just discussion about things like this, 1 Corinthians 11.3 talks about how the roles that are within the Godhead show up in marriage as well. Okay? And husbands and wives have different roles in marriage that mimic or, or pattern after the different roles that we see in the Godhead. So, here's why this is important. Because God has revealed Himself. We're talking about how He revealed, right? God has revealed Himself as the perfect pattern that He wants us to follow. Okay, there's certain things. Even Jesus came and said, whatever the Father said, that's what I do. And He showed Himself to be submissive and obedient to the Father's plan. He wants us to do the same thing. God has created Himself as the perfect pattern for me to follow. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, He has created you a role to play within the overall ministry that He's doing, the overall work that He's doing in this world. You have a part to play. There is nobody who is left out. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are not left out. Now, you may not plug in, you may not do ministry, you may not for whatever reasons, but He has created you, He has designed you to serve Him, and He has created certain things for you to do. And we can get into that in a different topic. All right? Next. Hey, here's, the, here's a good one. Holy, holy, holy. We sang this one this morning. It's one of the reasons we sang it this morning is so it was already in our minds. The book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Maybe we have some friends from um, Africa online with us. And I always get laughed at when I go to Africa because I say Isaiah and they say, no, it's Isaiah. So if we have some Africans friends with us, the book of Isaiah, so that I don't get laughed at. 
Okay? Because we pronounce it incorrectly. Chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 3. In the, king of, uh, in the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a high elevated throne. He sees this vision of God. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs, which is a, a, a type of angel. We'll talk about angels as one of our categories later on. Uh, stood over him. Each one had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and they used the other two to fly. And they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The one who is in charge of all the armies of heaven. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. And we look around, we're like, where does his glory fill the earth? Where does his splendor fill the earth? We... Uh, Go to the book of Psalms, chapter or Psalm 19, rather. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays His handiwork. I love verse three. There's not an actual speech or word. It's not that it's not that the trees back here are actually singing along with us, but they have their own song to praise God with that we don't understand, we can't hear. And so we're singing in English this morning, we're reading and studying in English this morning, but the whole of creation praises God in a way that we don't even understand. And it points us to God. The heavens, de the, the, the heavens declare God is glorious. God is amazing. God is wonderful. You can't look through a telescope. You can't even go outside. Just look up in the night sky and say, how cool is that? How big is God who rules this mighty universe? Yet small enough to live within my heart. Just amazing. Amazing. Why is that important? Because it reminds us that I'm less than God. Sometimes we forget that. I'm not sure how. <laughs> Not sure how, but sometimes we forget that, right? I am less than God, but He has called me to be like Him. He has invited you to come into a relationship with Him through Jesus. He has invited me and you to come into His work. Like Jesus said, whatever the Father's doing, that's what I am going to do as well. He's invited us into his work. He's invited us into a relationship with himself. He has invited us to actually become like him. And it's just so amazing when we think of who we are and how minuscule we are compared to how big he must be. And yet he cares enough about us to invite us into that. He's changeless. This is one of the questions that, that uh, comes up a lot. Um, somebody asked me last week, where do, in the Bible does it say that God doesn't change? And there are a couple of different places that sort of say something like it, but I always have to look up because honestly, who remembers Numbers 23? I mean, let's just be, let's just be honest. You know, if you've studied the Bible for a long time, um, you still don't remember Numbers 23, probably. And uh, uh, here is what Numbers 23, verse 19 says. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. What does that say about us? <laughs> he is not one of us. We change. We change our minds. We lie. We do all these things. He's not us. God is not a man 
He doesn't do that. He has said, and will he not do it? He or has he spoken? Will he not make it happen? God doesn't change. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same, this one you might know, yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. I am the Lord, I change not. Here's another place to find that. Why is that important? Because it's not just that He doesn't change, but He can't change. If he changed, that means he's getting better or worse. Right? It's not just a lateral. He's getting better or worse. If he could get better, then he's not already perfect. If he is already perfect, then any change is going to make him less than perfect, which is not a good change. It's a bad change. Okay? So if there is this concept of a God who is already perfect, that fits with this concept. This fits with the doctrine that he's changeless. He can't change. Because he can't get any better, and we don't want him, and he doesn't want to get any worse. Okay, he is perfect, which means that the things he does are also perfect. The decisions he makes are also perfect. If there could be a better way and he didn't do it, then it's not perfect anymore. We come up with, why didn't he do it that way? I'm sure he thought of that and went, that's stupid. And that was the best idea I had. <laughs> right? Why didn't he do it that way? Because the way he did it is absolutely the best way possible. Now, think about that. God sent his son to die on the cross for us in our place so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could come into relationship with him, so we could be made right with God. In the infinite wisdom that he has, there is no better way. There was no other plan. You think about that? There was no other possible plan that was better than Jesus dying in our place, coming back to life, and then having us share that good news with each other. You're like, I could think of three or four or ten ways that would probably be better than that. God said, you can try them. But in my infinite wisdom, that was absolutely the most perfect, wise, the best plan possible. How amazing is that? There is no other way. Any change would make him less than perfect. And finally, here's the last one. One of the things that he revealed to us is that everything is about him. Ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of time, at the end of our lives, at the end of everything, everything is about God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 11, we read, God says, for my sake alone I will act. For my sake alone. Everything He does is for Himself. Because how can I allow my name to be defiled? Everything we do is less <laughs> than what He would do. If he left it up to us, his name would be dragged through the mud. So he has to work on his own behalf. He has to work for his own sake, for his own name. I will not share my glory with anyone else. He is the true and living God. All these other so-called gods are nothing compared to him. I will not share my glory with anyone else. Here's why that's important. 
Not just my little green thing off to the side, but I want to show you one more verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. God does everything for His own glory. And look at what He commands us to do at the very top. So whether you eat or drink or anything else you do, do all for what? The glory of God. God does everything for His own glory. And He wants us to do the same. He wants us to do the same. That's His plan. So, if it's all about Him, it's not about me. It's all about Him, it's not about me. And that means the pressure is not on me to perform well, to come up with all the best stuff. It's simply to submit to Him and whatever He says, and whatever He's revealed, I don't have to speculate, I don't have to make it up, I don't have to design it. Simply be what He's trying to make me to be, and then obey whatever He's said. Just respond appropriately. Respond to Jesus for salvation. Respond to God for obedience and ministry and everything in this life. It's not about me. It's not about you. And that means that it's not up to me and up to you. It's up to God to make it all work out. Our plan, our prayer is not, God, please bless what I'm doing. But God, what are you doing? How can I join in that? What are you already blessing? And how can I do that? Isn't that a whole different perspective? Just a completely different perspective on that. Let me close with this last verse. It's sort of a benediction and we'll pray. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is, is wrapping up this really great prayer at the end of Ephesians 3. If you've never studied through the prayers of the Bible, that would be a great thing you might want to do. Just the different prayers of the Bible. The Apostle Paul says, Now to Him, Him, who by the power that is working within us, is able to do far beyond all we ask or think. Far beyond all we ask or think. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word, amens, the word amen means so be it. Let it be. So when we close our prayer and we say, Amen, we're, that's sort of like the seal. All right, God, I've turned it into your hands. Let it be. So be it.